Good to see everybody tonight. Uh, even though it was announced, you showed up. So we're glad you're here. When we look at the world that we live in right now, one of the things we see is all these changes that have happened. The word COVID got into our dictionary. And when we looked at COVID, we saw social distancing. We saw issues with masks. We saw issues with vaccines and with vaccine boosters. And who would have thought that toilet paper would have been an issue <laughs> or any of the paper products? We're seeing more signs that say for hire. We're seeing restaurants that are closed. We're seeing different things in politics. We're seeing people that are taking over city blocks. A lot of this stuff is distracting, isn't it? A lot of it has caused us to be challenged as Christians. And when we look at that and we think about it, what really is the answer for us? Uh, being upset about things or what? The real issue is that we have an all-knowing God. With us having an all-knowing God, we can depend on Him, can't we? With all these troubles and all these different issues that we start worrying about. Well, when you think about that and you see these verses, I have most of the verses up here. I won't read every one of them, but I'll let you read them. We know that temptation is part of our life. We know that problems are part of our life with these temptations. But we also see in this verse that God is faithful, isn't he? He's faithful to take care of us if we are righteous and we follow his laws. At the same time, he's not going to let these temptations be such that we can't bear because what does he do? He sets us up that we have a way of escape. So that's some comfort, isn't it, from, from what's going on in the world. When you take it a little farther, there are some people that will say, all these problems, God caused these. God tempted me. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of who? God. God's not tempted with evil, nor are we tempted by God. That's pretty comforting too, isn't it? Well then, where do we come in on the equation? Where do we come in on the problems? Go a little bit farther in James, and it says we are drawn away. How are we drawn away? It tells us in James. It says that we're drawn away by our own desires or lust. So that's our responsibility because we've already seen that God takes care of us. And it says when these desires conceive, they conceive something we know is sin. And when sin is full grown, what happens? Death. And with this death, it's spiritual death, we have some responsibility in all this, don't we? Well, when we know we have an all-knowing God, then why do we as Christians sometimes lose sight of Jesus? 
How come as Christians that we make a decision that maybe I can be on my own? I've got a couple of reasons. I shouldn't be through until about 9 o'clock tonight, but we'll get through. No, I've just got a couple of reasons. What I called it is, why do Christians quit? Well, the first one, and I was worried this morning that David was going to start using my lesson, but mine's a little different, but it's still on faith. People will depart from the faith or they will cast off their faith, won't they? When you look at Hebrews 10, 35 through 39, let me read that to you from my notes rather than turning around. It says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. When you look at this verse, there's three points here. One of them is boldness. One of them is endurance. And one of them is faith. When you look at the very top part of this, it says, do not cast away your confidence or your boldness would be another word, which has great reward. You go down farther, it says we need to have endurance, steadfastness, unmovable, uh, patience, if you want to call it. And then when you come to the middle part, it says now the just shall live by faith. And then it talks about drawing back. When we look at this verse, we see a contrast from living faithful all the way versus shrinking away from our faith, isn't it? Or falling away from our faith. That's a serious condition, isn't it? Because if we question ourselves from this verse and say, what basis can a Christian be assured looking at this verse, of enjoyment of salvation. It's one word. Carrie's been teaching it the whole time in Romans. It's faith, isn't it? It's called obedient faith. And without it, we can't make it. In this particular Verses In verse 37, there was a reference to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk had gone to the Lord and said, how long are we going to have to put up with these Chaldeans? How long are we going to have to be oppressed? The Lord says, I'll take care of it right now, didn't he? No. He says, be patient, endure, have that boldness and have that faith and I'll take care of it. When you look at this, there are some other words that we see sometimes when people depart from the faith. In 1 Timothy 1.6, it talks about a sincere faith from which some have what? Strayed. 1.19 says, 
which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered what? Shipwreck. Then in 6.10, and you can go on, I think, farther, it says, for which some have strayed from the faith, from what? Their greediness. When we see somebody shed their faith, cast off their face, or get rid of it, it's a scary situation, but now there's catch to this. We can come back, can't we? We can repent. If our faith falls to the side, we can still repent, can't we? It's not all. You can rebuild a ship, can't you? You can stop straying. But you know what David said this morning, the faith, it's only one faith. It's not a straying faith. Well, another reason they quit is because they haven't really built their faith like they should. They haven't really built on what they need on this faith. When you look at 2 Peter 1.10, before you get there, it, it talks about Christian graces. You know, add to your faith virtue, virtue what? Knowledge. And it goes on and on. And then this verse says, you've got to make the right choice, you and I. And that choice has to be the right choice. That's what the election is. Election's a choice. And that choice has to be such that from that we build on those other graces, don't we? So they are the part of the building blocks. Otherwise, we stumble. Well, when you go on and look, not only us as Christians can have these lack of building blocks, but even the disciples of Christ, men that followed him, men that were with him. In the reference in Matthew 6, 30, here is Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount, and he's basically saying, I take care of nature. I take care of the grass, don't I? How much more will I take care of you, O oh, you of little faith? Well, we go a little farther, though, and in Matthew 14, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. Then he puts his disciples in a boat and sends them out. We don't really know what time, but they've been out there a long time. He goes and prays and comes about 3 o'clock in the morning. And guess who comes out of the boat? Or ask him, you know, can I come? Is the impetuous Peter. And he says, come. Now here's an apostle that's followed Jesus. He's a fisherman. He's used to the water. He comes out and he's walking toward Jesus. And he looks over here or he looks over there and he says, well, that wind's strong. Those waves are big. And what does he start doing? He starts sinking. His faith, he'd been with Jesus. His faith should have been building, shouldn't it? And what did he say? Save me. Lord saves him. He took his eyes off the Lord, didn't he? And when he took his eyes off the Lord, he started sinking. 
But you know, there's something, I've missed it many, many years. But up there, Jesus says, why did you doubt? I read some stuff on that in different articles and different uh, theologians. And one of the theologians says that when you doubt, you have two trains of thought. You have two things on your mind. And I guess I really hadn't thought of that that way. Well, when we think of our faith, we can't have two things on our mind. We can't say, well, weather's bad, there's Jesus. Well, he said, come, wind's blowing. What do we have to do? We have to be focused, don't we? Christ-focused. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it, when problems arise. Even for Peter. The one that said, no matter what happens, I'll be with you, Lord. And we know he was saved. And we know he preaches a gospel sermon later. But why did you doubt? Well, the next part that we have, besides building blocks, and you think about these building blocks, is when we look at the parable of the sower, or some people, parable of the soils. You've got the wayside. You've got the, you know, stony ground. You've got the thorns, and you've got the good. Well, when it comes to the stony ground, though, they heard the word, didn't they? They had joy from the word, But this verse says, but, what? But, since he had no root, what happens? He lasts only a short time. When trouble, persecution, temptation, or anything else comes, what does he do? He quickly, all of these, unless I've got them marked as NIV, or or this one's NIV, uh, the rest of them, New King James, he quickly falls away. You know, that's a situation that it's just like us. We hear the word. Boy, we can't have much more joy than when someone's baptized and the joy of them building building up their way of life scripturally and being taught by their parents. But if they don't have any roots, what happens? Fall away. Look at Colossians 2 with me. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. After I just said I'd have most of them up there, I didn't do this one. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, it says, As you therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, Then verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. One of the things that most teachers that stand up here talk about is what is called a working faith, isn't it? It's not a faith that we just come here, sit down in the pew, and we're doing okay. It's a faith that's active, isn't it? 
and the same thing with us. Well, as part of that, there's also the other part that says, with all these things that have gone on, I've told you that sometimes the faith isn't what it should be. But we also need to understand that our faith will be tested, won't it? And problem most of you know it's tested every day. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Christ. Well, when you think about testing faith, I think sometimes we forget. We call Abraham the father of our faith. And in Genesis 22 and verse 1, it says, God tested Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son, the one that the hope of the Messiah comes through and kill him. Isn't that what he said? He got up early in the morning, he chopped wood, he got his stuff together, and he traveled three days. He prepared, he was committed, and he gave his best, didn't he? Well, at the same time, we studied the first quarter this year, numbers. And the Lord says, Lord, your God led you all the way through these 40 years in the wilderness to do what? To humble you, to set your humility in the right place, and to test you. Not only if you had the right heart, but you'll follow his commandments. So this testing has been throughout the Bible, hasn't it? I want us to look at a test, and then the lesson is yours. If you'll turn to Matthew 15 in your Bibles, Matthew 15. I thought David was getting close to me because he went into Matthew 15 too, and I went, oh man, here we go. In Matthew 15, when you get to verse uh, 21, this is also in Mark chapter 7. When you come to verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. In Mark 7, it says that he went into a house, paraphrasing, and basically so that people wouldn't come. Well, when you see this and we read on in verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him. In Mark chapter 7, it says this woman from Canaan was a Syrian from Phoenicia and also called her a Greek. So here's a Gentile coming to Jesus. This Gentile woman's got something to ask him. We don't know her name. We don't know her position. We just know where she's from. And it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from this region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, 
Son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. She knew some information, didn't she? Because she used a messianic definition of the Lord, didn't she? Son of David. She knew something. And it's obvious she was persistent to try to find him because she came to the right person, didn't she? Came to Jesus. Tells us something, doesn't it? So here she comes to Jesus and she says, my, my daughter's demon-possessed. We don't, we don't know what that really is. We don't know how bad this... But the daughter's not with her. She didn't bring the daughter. And she didn't say, Jesus, come with me, did she? So she had something going on. And then in verse 23, the Lord says... But he answered, or the Bible says, but he answered her, he being Jesus, not a word. Now, some people are going to say, that's pretty cruel. That's the first test. That's the first test to see what she's going to react. Now, I bet if I took a poll in here, you came and you needed some help, and somebody just stood there and didn't say anything, what would you do? I give up. See you later. Anybody awake in there? You wouldn't last long, would you? Now, she came to the right person. She's called him the son of David. It also says in Mark that she knelt. So she had humility standing in front of the Lord. Well, we go a little farther. His, and his disciples, this is part of 23, came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. This is the second test. I've come to the Lord. The Lord won't answer me. His people are against me. What am I going to do? What would you do? I'd leave, wouldn't you? You're not getting any help. Now, there's one thing here. Lord hadn't said no, has He? Lord hadn't said go away. He just didn't answer. When you go a little farther, it says, after the disciples in verse 24, it says, But He, that's Christ, answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What did He just tell her? He basically says, you're a Gentile. You're dealing with the Jews. What are you doing here? Is that what she said to her? Listen to what she says. Here he's saying, I'm sent to the Jews, just like in chapter 10 of Matthew, where he sent out the disciples and they said, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the lost children of Israel. It's almost the same thing, isn't it? You know what? Listen to what she says in verse 25. She says, Then she came and worshipped him. I'm reading out of the New King James. And says, Lord, help me. She didn't quit, did she? Both sets of people have refused her, haven't they? Both sets of people are testing her faith, aren't they? 
I'm not so sure the Lord wasn't doing a learning thing for his disciples, too. Well, we go a little farther. She's come to worship him. And then he answers her and said, It is not good to take children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Test three. Jesus sent to the Jews, the children to this, and so what did he just call her? Called her a dog, didn't he? But you know, when you look at the Greek, it's really interesting on this. He didn't call her like the dogs that are on the street or like a Samaritan. He called her a little dog. And when he called her a little dog, he meant that's a family dog. And if you know me, I have a dog, and when my grandchildren are over, she's under the table like a vacuum cleaner. And that's what he's talking about, a little family dog. And she says, listen to this, this is really important. Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. When you think of that and you think of these tests and you think of the fact that he's talked to her about a dog, do you realize that she's honoring the Lord? She's saying, I understand you're in charge and I'll take the crumbs. I'll take whatever little bit I can get. Even if you call me a dog, even if you don't trust me, I'm a Gentile, I'll take what you can give. Do we do that? (laughs) Do we do that with our prayers to say, Lord, help me out. I'll take anything. That's what she said. She basically said, you can call me a dog, but I'm worried about my daughter. Still hadn't said, I'm going to bring her. And Jesus still hadn't said no, has he? Well, we come to the end. It says, then Jesus answered. This is verse 28. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And when he said, great is your faith, he said, bring your daughter to me and I'll take care of her. Now, he said what? She's taken care of. And when he got home, she was taken care of the very hour. When we think of ourselves and think of us in the world we live in and the problems that we have, they're minor compared to what our faith should be, aren't they? They're minor to what this woman was going through and the problems that she had. Is our faith strong enough to hold up under these problems that we see all around us to be upset about? The Lord says he'll take care of us. He'll be with us. Tonight, if you have the faith that this lady had, you need to think about putting on Christ. To think about where you are in life and understand that Christ is our advocate and will take care of us. But there's a responsibility for us, isn't there? Living that faithful life. Continuing steadfastly, as it says in Acts chapter 2. If you need to make that choice tonight, 
The water's ready. You can go into the watery grave of baptism, come out a new person. Start that walk. There's another part when I first went over these faiths and sometimes we lose our faith or we cast it off. If you've cast it off and you need to make a change and get back, as David called it, the faith, we can help you there too with prayers with you, for you. If you're subject to any of this invitation, please come while we stand and sing.